and Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm happy to pick up where we left off with producer, writer, filmmaker, and president of the Eaton Workshop Hospitality Company, Catherine Lowe. I'm so excited to be here. Catherine, it's so great to have you back. So it was such an enjoyable first uh, segment that we had, and, and I really appreciate that you're coming from a perspective of understanding so much about both the facilitation and curation of art, but also having your own practice on the side and navigating that what can be difficult, but hopefully, you know, energizing in both directions. So yeah, I wanted to come back around um, and, and and let's go a little bit deeper in a couple of those topics. And maybe we could just start out. I, I know we, 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 you know, the first time around we had to sort of like pin you off because you had some great, you know, nuggets of wisdom that we wanted to impart. Let's go a little deeper on just specific levels of advice that you would give to a young creative, you know, that's just entering any of these fields. What do you think? What else? So uh, I, I love giving advice. So I, I'd say definitely seek out mentors because that's crucial. All my mentors from the fields of film to hospitality have had such a tremendous impact on my life. So seek out mentors. There are a lot of people who will be willing to help you apply for residencies and labs and programs as much as you can do internships, be open to all the connections that you can start to gather. I think if you do need to make a living right away, I think one important question is to decide if you want to have a separate day job while pursuing your craft in your free time, or if you want to find a job that combines your craft while making a living. I think those are definitely two distinctions that would be good for someone to decide what they would prefer. When, when you were just starting in sort of those, that early phase, did you go through that process? Did you sort of make a distinction between the full tilt version um, or, or the hybrid version? What, what did it look like for you? I actually um, didn't make that conscious decision, but after I graduated from film school, I did do internships and I worked, uh, I actually worked in the film industry in Hong Kong for about a year. So I worked with a few different companies um, doing screenwriting and production work. And I, I learned a lot and I still consider some of those directors to be my mentors. But I guess with my unique situation, when I fell into the hotel right. family business, that sort of became my day job. But then I brought sure, in elements yeah. of my craft into it. But I think right now I would describe my situation as having a day job while pursuing my craft in my free time. Yeah. Which is, I think that's the, that's probably the lion's share of creatives that fall into a category with something like that. But I like that you're underlining the fact, right? That it can, sometimes the decision is about how close is that day job to, in, in proximity to my, my, my passion. And particularly within things like the entertainment industry and theater and that sort of, even visual arts, like, you know, the administration of those things can sometimes be what's what's paying the bills and the, the craft and practices of, of those things happen on nights and weekends and in, in, in community building and that sort of thing. So that's that's a really great piece of advice and reminder. What you just said made me think of, um, someone pointed out to me that the curation and facilitation is actually just as important as the actual artist, because without the people who are working so hard to create the galleries and institutions and residencies and fellowships to support artists. Those jobs are just as much a part of the creative world. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and in, in a lot of ways have as just as much, if not more impact, you know, that could be argued, but, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're both like part of the same conversation, which is really important to keep in mind. So this, the second segment, we, we usually just kind of wander around a bit and, you know, pick up some other topics based on what we had talked about before. A couple of things. Uh, one thing that came up that I found interesting, you end up quoting uh, Joseph Campbell at least once. And I think I, I'd seen in, you know, some of your other articles and writing that you'd You'd mentioned Hero of a Thousand Faces or the Hero's Quest, like that kind of thing. So I know you've got an anthropology background, and that's interesting. Not every artist has that in their background. I think most people in Hollywood like understand like the hero's journey, but I get the sense that you take that to maybe a slightly deeper level from your anthropology background. So wanted to ask a little bit more about that, a little bit more. How does anthropology fit into this? How does the study of history of culture and those sorts of things, how is it impacted your own journey and both, again, creatively within your practice or even within Eaton and the ways that you think about culture and understanding culture and, and supporting culture in, in, in important ways. Wow, I love this question. I'm so happy you brought it back to anthropology because that was a big part of my Yale experience. I had started out majoring in art, but then in sophomore year, I switched to anthropology because I had gotten involved in a lot of social and environmental work. And I wanted to study cultural anthropology to better understand the systems that humans have created, you know, from not just in a very like tight, only the European era of history, but from, you know, centuries before that, exploring how cultures uh, understand cosmology, the universe, systems of power and culture and organization and decision-making, like all those things I was very interested in. And I loved my professors at Yale. One of my favorite professors, my thesis advisor was David Graeber, who sadly passed away recently, but he was a huge mentor in my life. And I think that approach to anthropology did inform in film school, like I guess you went to film school too. So everyone studies the three act structure, the structure of myth that uh, Joseph Campbell talks about that is the basis of so many films today. I think there's something very universal and profound and powerful about how that mythic structure has existed in so many cultures and is at the root of storytelling from centuries ago to today. Yeah. In a lot of ways where even if we're moving away from it, we're still in conversation with that as a base point, which is quite interesting. I did see that you had in one of the Eaton uh, events, I believe that there'd been sort of a myth through the female perspective or something like that. Had you been just inspired by that or involved in that or, or, or did you have your hand on that at all? Or was it just a point of interest in one of your programs? I actually didn't personally work on that program, but that sounds perfect. I did give a talk last year where I talked about the hero's journey. And then I had found the heroine's journey, which is a feminist book written a few decades after Joseph Campbell, I think. And I really broke down, got really nerdy and broke down the structure of the heroine's journey and how that differed. And I was giving my talk to a class of current undergrads. So then now, especially with all the new approaches to non-binary gender. Then all these questions came about gender and like the hero's journey, the heroine's journey. Why do they have to be genderized? And it was a fascinating discussion. Right. I love to hear that. One of the reasons I sort of asked about this is just, just from our, our audience and the undergrads, I mean, the perspective of sometimes people can feel like, well, do I have the right major for what I want to do? And I love that anthropology, I mean, you're not an anthropologist, but 
it still means something. It's, you still carry it with you. And having a great professor, having a great experience, writing a great paper, doing a great thesis in these directions has real impact and it can carry over into whatever you end up doing. So, you know, when you're choosing your major, it's not necessarily, in fact, it probably shouldn't be about, is this the right major for my career? It's a, is this the right major for me as a thinker, as a, as a philosopher, as a doer, as a practitioner? So I love the fact that anthropology still fits into your story. Yes, it deeply does. And I, I'm sensing you're more on the purist side of things too. I would <laughs> love for people to also be able to study what they love and truly just because they love it. But um, I did hear, I think right after I had graduated, that a lot of like investment banks were looking to hire people who had majored in anthropology and literature. And yeah, yeah you can really apply it to any field. Absolutely. Yeah. The undergraduate major is really just how to learn, how to acquire, how to research, how to, you know, you're not specializing at this point. So like, why not do the thing that speaks to you? You know, the thing that, you know, you can, you can map out and see yourself going deep in that direction, but just deep enough to then figure out what comes next. <laughs> So I had read somewhere that the designs in the Hong Kong Eaton were inspired by some Hong Kong film aesthetic. Yes. And, and so that, that's another piece where I know we talked a little bit about how it, sometimes it feels to you like there are two different worlds that you're living in, but there are these crossovers. And that is one example. But could you tell me more about the places that where where your your artistry does cross over with what you do on a daily basis and making decisions with things like the hotel and that, that sort of so um, Wong Kar Wai is a, an iconic art house filmmaker from Hong Kong that many film school people know. He directed a lot of iconic films in the 90s, like Days of Being Wild and Happy Together. And he later directed In the Mood for Love in 2046. And the location where Eden Hong Kong is, is actually in the neighborhood where he shot all these films. And that neighborhood is called Jordan and it hasn't been gentrified and it still has when you think of the iconic Hong Kong imagery in Hong Kong films from like the 80s and 90s, you see those neon signs on the streets. It still looks like that in the area around the hotel. And so when I worked with our interior designer, Av Rocco, we really wanted to bring that spirit back to life. So the entire hotel's designs were inspired by Wong Kar Wai's 1990 art house films and bringing in that storytelling into the design and architecture of a building, thus also shaping the experience of people who visit it. Sure. It was a physical real world application and connection yeah, between my film studies and this you know, hospitality project I was doing. Right. So again, like there's something energetic in that idea that even as these as these pieces might live in different segments, they, they, their charge can sometimes be felt between the two, it sounds like. Yes, very much so. I think there was a reference. You might have mentioned it even in our first talk, but I'd, I'd read a little bit about the the Eaton Pillars. And is that the same thing of, as what you were talking about with community artists and that represented or, or t tell me more about that engagement with artists that are local to community, what your process of engaging with those pillars or units or whatever they were called was like, and how that has, you know, kept you charged in some ways in terms of being able to both facilitate, but in some ways even collaborate with cultural and artistic community leaders. So I developed this system of that I call pillars. So outside of all the traditional hotel positions that you would need at a hotel. We have what we call pillars and they work in the fields of culture. So art and culture, music and radio, impact and wellness. And I 
really source through word of mouth, through people I trusted, people in DC and Hong Kong from these worlds, from the art world, the music world, the impact world. And I brought them onto the Eaton teams. And what they do is first they curate uh, all the programming that takes place, whether that's talks, screenings, but also they build community relationships with community organizations and also artists across many mediums. And it's the work that I've done with Pillars. And I'm a little less like day-to-day involved in the details now, but in our first four years, I was uh, deeply involved in every single artist or organization that we partnered with and built a lot of beautiful synergistic relationships with a lot of them. Like for example, at Eden DC, we did a collaboration with Mel Chin, the artist who's recent MacArthur genius. And he had this project he'd been working on for a long time called Fundred, which aimed to, through an art installation, bring awareness to lead poisoning across America. And so our collaboration with him, he basically turned our lobby into this huge art installation called Fundred that took over our whole lobby. And we also flew in families from across America who had been affected by lead poisoning. When they were in D.C., they stayed at Eaton. We did programming around them being there. And they also testified to Congress and actually passed this anti-lead bill. So something like that, where we synergize and bring in the artists, we create a space for the artist exhibition. We bring in social impact, but we also use the hotel spaces. Something like our collaboration with Melchin, I think is a a great example of how we brought together the worlds of art, culture, community, and impact. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a lot of synergy, but but also just a lot of upwelling of creativity that can happen. And I love that it's localized. I love that so much of it's fed into specific to location and, and the communities that are pre-built there. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. Another thing on this question of community and local engagement, like for example, Eat in Hong Kong, We hired our director of music and radio, James AC. He used to run one of the best music venues in Hong Kong, the XXX Gallery. And just as Eaton was opening, that music venue was closing. So something that, you know, we worked with James on is making Eaton into like the next generation of that space. And he's really built it. He's tied it over so that those music audiences have now come to Eaton as a way to continue that lineage. So it's really inspiring. Right. And and that's a great example where it's not it's not just a one off sort of engagement. It's an evolving engagement over time within community, which is nice. And it's really listening to what exists in the community and what they need rather than us coming in from out of town and saying this is how it should be done. So I think that the listening approach really yields really powerful outcomes. Yeah. So you mentioned the third place as a concept, which I think has a lot of resonance to it and, and particularly has a lot of resonance for creatives. And it does remind me, you also mentioned Virginia Woolf and I, you know, I, I, trying to draw lines. Like I, I just feel like there is something there with a, a room of, of, of one's own together with the third place. Could you tell me more about whether that's a, a sort of an active thought in your, in your process or are those just two kind of a resonant of something bigger, like a concept of finding space for the creative individual? Could you tell me anything more about that in any, any additional context where those two things might meet? 
Yeah, I love your questions. They, I love how you interweave so many different elements of what you've read and heard from our conversation. So Virginia Woolf is one of my favorite writers of all time and a room of one's own. I think that ties back to what I was talking earlier about renting the Airbnb or the, or the sure, hotel yeah. room and creating that minimalist, pure environment where you're focused on your creative goal. I think that is very resonant with what Wolf was describing in that essay. And then going back to the third place, I think that's the, the counterpoint. So on one hand, you need that private minimalist space to like look within and work on your creative projects. But then on the flip side, you need community. So one side is a room of one's own and on the other side is the third place. And the third place offers that communion and gathering. And like you were saying, having that community of like-minded writers, mentors, artists that you can draw on for, you know, kinship and support. So I think both are different aspects, sides of the same coin, but both equally important to someone wanting to exist in their craft. What is your third place right now? I mean, that probably for most people that shifts on a weekly, monthly, yearly level, but what, what do you consider your third place right now? Well, my answer will be very funny. I guess before COVID, it would have been very different, sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. in the last few years, things have been really different. So honestly, I would have to say the dog park. <laughs> like I bring my dog to the same dog park every day and there's tons of people there. It's almost like this reunion every day. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's outside, like none of them know what I do. They don't even know my name. I don't know their names, but it's very familial and has, you know, the purest spirit of the third place. Fantastic. I like that as an example of you find your third place where it's offered <laughs> contextually and, you know, it's going to shift. And, and by post-COVID, it's a lot harder than it used to be to find those sorts of spaces. So that's fantastic. So one last question, and I know I, I don't want to push your time too far here. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but you mentioned uh, Ikagai. Is that what it was? Oh, well, I actually, I think it's Ikigai. I don't speak Japanese, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But and we'll, oh, we'll own it Ikigai. together, Ikigai. Yes. So that was such a brilliant sort of analogy where we were just kind of asking you to define like what career is for you, but it was a more complicated answer than we probably had space for. So I was wondering if you might unpack that a little bit and be, and to, to our purpose, like help us to understand where how those things are defined for your layers. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, how it speaks to you and give us some examples of how it traces, you know, for, for your internalization of the concept? Yeah. So I think that Ikigai concept of having what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you make a living from, like if someone can find one thing that captures all of those, that's probably ideal and probably very rare. So like what I've built with my life is I think some of the circles capture what I do with Eaton. Some of the circles capture what I do with my film and music in my own time. And I think you just have to almost build your own system. Maybe not one thing will capture all four, but if you end up fulfilling all four in different ways, that's a way to ensure that you're, you know, live a well-balanced life where you are fulfilled, but also realistically can self-sustain. Fantastic. And do you, do you find yourself now as you're making decisions about potential projects or, or shifts in, in any of these directions, do you find yourself sort of mapping to how many of those components are being fulfilled by one versus another in, in, in terms of a, a pivot or a shift? Do you find yourself using that as a map? 
That's a very good idea. I think that would be great advice for people to start doing. I haven't done it yet, but I will now. That you've of that. <laughs> we found great. it together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this has been fantastic. That we'll we'll go ahead and, and close it off with that because I think that's a nice resonant image to leave you know the audience with. But you've got so much going on, like you know, in your in your domains. Um, anything that we missed? Anything that you wanted to kind of point towards or, or remind us of? I actually I love your questions and I find them very inspiring and very deep. And I'm, I'd be curious about with other people you've interviewed, has there been an overarching commonality in the advice or insights or, you know, given this concept of balancing craft and careers, I'd be interested if there was overarching commonalities or universalities that you've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. So one of the reasons just the concept building the crafting career was hopeful of opening up a, a new channel of conversation at Yale, where Yale is so artistically focused. And we were talking about this a little bit before, so artistically focused, but sometimes the practical side is just left behind outside the classroom. So, you know, we want to create these kind of liminal spaces that, you know, the threshold between, okay, I'm an artist, but what am I supposed to do with that? And then, you know, there are podcasts out there that are about the, the industry and that's great too, but like rarely do the two come together. So yeah, the, the podcast is intended to leave a, maybe a third space, you know, for, for, for these kinds of conversations, like a safe space for these kinds of conversations. But, you know, we did, we did purposely craft the podcast to ask the same kinds of questions from everyone, regardless of their background. And so you ask the patterning of that, like that's the intention. I will say we haven't gone back yet. So we're, we're still capturing and we're still pulling data. Uh, an initial idea had been that one of these days, and, and, and audience, watch out, one of these days we, we have the intention of doing a, fra- a framing podcast that actually pull similar answers to the same questions or different answers to the same questions from a bunch of our different guests. But we haven't done it yet, so I haven't yet mapped that out. <laughs> Oh, I'd love to hear once you've done that. Yeah, absolutely. And please, you know, stay in touch both with, you know, uh, yes, the podcast would love to uh, stay in contact with you and, and hear about new things that are happening with Eaton and with yourself. Thank you, Derek. I really appreciated this time together. Yes, me too. It was such a pleasure, Catherine. And thanks to our audience for showing up to the second episode of our new season. Keep an eye out for more fresh craft and career episodes coming soon. Until then, and as always, don't be afraid to use the word career and always stay crafty.